One of the biggest favors you can do yourself as a locksmith is to look at a job before you even name a price. Knowing what you're getting into beforehand keeps you from selling yourself short. Unless, of course, you're already short like me. I'm Tim Coleman, and along with Jeff Moss and Tyler J. Thomas, we are the Three Tumblers. You may think that surveying a job site is something only done by access control or heavy commercial folks, but it's something that you already do for even the smallest residential jobs, or at least you should. You know, when I walk up to a house for a simple residential reiki, the first thing that I look at is the lock that's on the front door, because most of the time, the customer is going to want to key everything the same, have one key for every door. Uh, when I was in the fire department, EMS, and the police academy, we were trained to do what was called a scene size up, which is very similar to what we would do as a logsmith on a job survey. You look at everything, the whole picture. You look at what hardware is existing including the doors. You look at uh, the keyways that are currently installed. You look at the condition of the openings and take everything into consideration. Probably the biggest advantage to being able to do my job as a locksmith and, and you being able to do your job as a locksmith is to go with the customer and walk through everything, looking at the different hardware, discussing any issues that you see already. And you can even test the doors and their functions, make sure that the deadbolt slides smoothly, that the latches actually latch, just and, and point out to the customer these individual nuances, to borrow a phrase from Tyler, uh, of each opening and say this may work this may not from residential customers to commercial customers speaking with the customer and going through their property looking at all of their hardware and doors are very very important when you're looking at either starting a job or quoting a job uh, but communication with the customer is very very important um, Tyler, when you go through for uh, for a quote, which we'll be talking about in another episode, but when you first go to a job, what is, like, do you walk through with the customer, like with your contact? Oh, yeah. Yeah, always. Uh, I, I don't like being given instructions by email and uh, having to do some guesswork, so they always have to be there with me. But, yeah, I'm kind of the same way as you. Um, Whenever I did residential, I would always look at that front door lock, and a lot of times it was either, you know, tell me it was going to be an easy job or a hard job, especially if it was like an older West lock or Wiser or something like that. But I looked forward to to Schlage and, and Quickset because I knew I had stock on truck. Um, but yeah, it, especially if it's an if it's an existing customer, we know everything about them. But if it's a new customer, 
that first impression gives you an idea, especially for commercials. Hey, you know, this is their keyway or this is their key system. Uh, here are the formats I'm seeing. So it's either going to be easy or a, a pain in the butt. Right. Agreed. Jeff, I mean, you, you agree, obviously, uh, have, I, I know you're mostly in the shop, but you know, I, I assume that at some point in time, you've done a walkthrough out in the field at a job site. Uh, what do you think about sizing up the scene? So to speak, I mean, I've surveyed lots of jobs, not for locks, but doing, you know, cabling, computer work, stuff like that. You know, you want to actually get the person who knows what's going on. You don't want like their third hand lackey who might know a couple things. You want to get all the information, you know, from the horse's mouth, as it were. You know, I did a job where there were three different partners in the business and they're each telling you different things. And it's like, look, I got to get direction from one person because I got one person saying that they want to cut all the wiring out, including the phone lines coming in from the street. So obviously they don't know what what is really going on. Um, you know, a lot of times like somebody will have their brother or someone come in and schedule everything and they don't really know what the actual issues are. So that that's pretty common in residential stuff. Yeah, you want to get it from the horse's mouth and not the horse's ass. Yes. Tyler. Speaking of. Uh, no, Jeff raised a good point, and that's something that Breck used to always talk about as far as one person dictating it. And he called it uh, you only need one bus driver. And that goes not just for quotes, but maintaining key systems, access control. Uh, there's got to be a guiding voice going forward, and you have to establish that from the gate uh, so that, you know, down the road, you're operating on the same page and you're not having three or four different voices dictating policies. So that's a good point. And you kind of segue into my next uh, next point, which is, you know, for for those customers, I find that uh, the best thing to do, especially with access control jobs, is ask the customer what they want to accomplish. You know, it, do you just want to be able to give a code to employees to be able to enter the building? Or do you want to be able to track which employee comes in and out of which door at what time? And, you know, finding out what they want their end goal to be, it really, really helps me in the long run uh, determine what I'm going to be able to do for them. Uh, Jeff, when a customer comes to you and says, hey, I, I do this, you know, with something in the shop or or in the field, you know, with IT or whatever, you basically need to know what their end goal is, right? Absolutely. You know, the I want my locks changed, you know, is like the most basic well, okay, do you really want new hardware or do you just want them retumbled? Getting to the, what is the actual pain point? What is the actual problem? It, it's simple, but when you don't always get the info that you need right away, it takes longer, things don't always go smoothly. Right, and I mean, you can, like you said, we get in our shop at least twice a day, people calling saying, we want our locks changed. Well. You know, when you get there on site, you can you can tell people over the phone uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. But when we get there on site, you look at everything to say, OK, yes, this does need to be changed because this is Westlock and it's a Westlock knob from 
45 years ago, I'm not going to take that apart. You know, you do need to replace that. Or this is broken. This latch doesn't latch anymore. Um, so you need to be able to do that. Tyler, with commercial quoting, which is kind of your wheelhouse or, or, you know, site surveys, I should say, with commercial jobs, what what do you look for as far as, you know, what customers want to accomplish? I've gotten really good about going into a job site or any job site with um, kind of a, a series of questions that can iron it out. And I, I learned this years and years ago, dispatching. Uh, you know, you try to get to the point as quick as possible so you can take the next phone call. But there, there's a certain mindset and philosophy where you can guide the customers into making decisions that they're not thinking of. Uh, with King, for example, uh, almost everybody wants what they call a tenant master, which is a master key that works everything in their suite. Uh, a lot of times contractors and the installers don't know about that or don't know that they would have that requirement going forward. So you kind of have to guide them. So you, they're not thinking of it and you're saying, oh, by the way, are they gonna want a tenant master? Oh, I didn't think about that. Let me ask them. And so, yeah, there's there's a certain, you know, set of questions I go into all these surveys with to to iron out and to figure out what I really need to know, not what they're offering. Right. You have to know what their end goals are. Even, even if they don't know what they are, you have to guess or at least make a determination of what eventually they're going to discover and say, oh, yeah, why didn't we do it this way? Um, and, and that can go down to things as far as, you know, key control and stuff. You know, do you want this system to be on an SC1 where somebody can go to a minute key kiosk and get a copy of your key made? Or do you want them to have to come through you? So, yeah, communicating with the customers, I think, is is very, very important through any type of survey. And asking them questions and knowing what products you have available is also very important. You know, knowing how to accomplish those goals is very important, or at least know what their goals are. If you don't know how to accomplish it, you can at least turn around and ask somebody, whether it's a distributor rep or another locksmith, say, hey, how do I get this for this customer? For sure. And both of those points have been addressed in previous episodes. So if you want to learn more, go back in the archive and listen about communication as well as working with distributors. Great tease. Ha I, I had like to get that. the plug in. <laughs> All right, fellas. So, you know, I guess to wrap it up, uh, when you get to a job, whether it's a simple residential rekey or it's a uh, multi-story building that you're sizing up, look at everything talk with your customer, walk through, look at all the doors, do a door count, take plenty of notes, and uh, find out what the overall plan is. Coming up, unless if you're a one-man show, passing along information like we just talked about to your coworkers can either help you or bite you in the ass.
you're lucky enough to have a shop guy like me who will cut keys and help you pin cylinders for a job, then you should definitely get them in on a post-survey survey. Having as much information as possible beforehand will certainly help in the long run. Having accurate notes is key, pun intended. You know, how many keys per change, what type of tailpieces you need on the levers, should I install them in the locks, always helps because if I can uh, make your install easier by preparing as much stuff in the shop as possible, then take advantage of that. Make it easier so then you don't have to do as much in the field. But if you don't tell me, you know, I'm not going to guess, oh, it's got to go horizontal. Oh, it's got to be a short tail piece. Oh, it's, you know, I need to know if it's going in a lever or a knob or, you know, if it's, uh, you know, whatever handing for certain things, you know, it's nice to know. It's nice to have more information if I don't need it than to not know how many keys you need and you get out to the job and the customer wanted 12 keys and you only had to make two. And then for, we do a lot of future service after the fact stuff. Uh, it really helps to know where things are going. Uh, Tyler talks about opening labels and all that kind of stuff. But we have a lot where they just put Joe's office or front corner or used and then the date. Well, when somebody needs that key for the office in 10 years, we don't know where it goes. So then you got to take the lock apart or they just cut master keys for everybody, which I would not recommend. Uh, and then somebody will come in, they want a key or they order something and we can't find it because the documentation was not done properly. It's not a big deal like in apartments because they just put them in different suites and swap them around. But for offices and, and things like that, it, it does come back to bite you sometimes. So Tyler, I guess, did you inherit that door labeling thing? Is that something you had worked on in other places? Because I, I think that that's a big help. I've never seen it anywhere else. I've heard since that others are doing it with QR codes, but like what you said is the reason we do it. You can't call it Joe's office because like you said, Joe may retire or the room may be repurposed. We're seeing a lot of interior offices getting converted to what they call mother's rooms. So room descriptions change, purposes change, but what doesn't change is that four digit number that we assign to every lockable opening. And uh, that's how we can communicate one year, 10 years, 20 years down the road, we're all speaking the same language, which is our language, which are the item numbers. Absolutely. And Tim, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, if you can accurately delineate what the opening is, you know, like Tyler says, you know, they use a, a four-digit code for every lockable opening. Uh, if it's a building like one of our corporate customers, they have a high rise building in Charlotte and each building has a, a four digit or each door has a four digit number assigned to it under their system. Uh, when that building was still under construction, that system changed. They relabeled uh, different rooms and stuff. So it was kind of difficult to catch up and follow up with uh, those changes because what we had on paper from three months before was different once we actually got there to the site. But I, I wish that we had a system like Tyler does and like uh, some of the other locksmiths that I know of have where you can easily database all of your openings that you service. And uh, it, it really, really kind of... Uh, would help in the future. Um, also, I want to go back to to your previous point, 
uh, the accurate notes part, you know, the number of keys, what kind of tailpieces is very important. It, not just if you're a shop guy, but if you're somebody else who's in the shop and you get pulled in to help with the job and you show up to install a bunch of cores or something and all the tailpieces are missing. You guys remember a few months ago, I texted you both and said, hey, do you have any Schlage lever tailpieces for IC? And we wound up having to order a bunch for a job because the contractors threw away all the tailpieces that came with the Schlage levers. And it was really a pain in the ass for that job because we couldn't get anything installed and nothing would work if, I mean, we could put the cords in there, but they wouldn't work anything. And if you had storeroom levers on doors, that really didn't do anybody any good. So knowing that sort of thing and being able to walk through and say, okay, make sure that, you know, we have the tailpieces or we have the appropriate cams if they're mortise cylinders, you know, make sure that we have everything we need will really, really help out in the future when we get all of those pinned up and then go to install them. Right. And then, you know, or you get on the job where they, um, you know, threw away all the tailpieces. <laughs> Which is what, what happened to us. Yeah. I mean, we had to order... I think we had to order like a hundred tailpieces for yeah. uh, levers. We charged them for it. Well, yeah, at retail well, price. Absolutely, it happens all the time. And then, as far as like Tyler, you know, it's probably a little different. You probably prep your own stuff if you're in, or you really don't do installs anymore. But I'm sure you did prep stuff that you were going to go do. And Tim, do you prep your own stuff, or how does that work? In our shop, if it, it depends on the size of the job, like we're doing a, a major rekey because somebody lost the top master key for an entire mixed use business residential complex. And uh, so prepping stuff in the shop, like cutting keys, we've been doing that in the shop. All of us have gotten together doing that, uh, going out in the field. It, it may be one of us, it may be three of us that go out in the field that, you know, repin cylinders and go through and check hardware and, and whatnot to see what was on the old top master and what, you know, should be on the new top master. But yeah, as far as like, if I go out and I quote the job and it's a relatively small job where we're only cutting, let's say less than a hundred keys for the job total, uh, then we we prep our own stuff gotcha yeah i mean it sometimes it's easier if they can prep their own but you know and there's some stuff that has to be done in the field but you know if i can do it and make their job easier i would prefer to because then they can just throw the stuff in and you know keeping good records and my handwriting's not great so i will put stuff in the computer put notes in in the dispatch using Google Sheets for certain things, um, because sometimes even I go back and I can't read what I wrote and I haven't been there that long. And there's some stuff that's been done for 30 years and you it's, you know, it's easy to figure out and all that. Okay, well, if you write down your site notes on a gas station napkin, like some of us, be sure not to lose it or else Tyler will give you the what for. Stay tuned for more three tumblers.
When we do a survey of a job, big or small, we keep all of our notes, observations, and thoughts on record of each opening. Whether it's on paper or in the computer, those notes can really come in handy, even if you don't get the original job. We have a, well, it's an Excel spreadsheet that I've made for uh, each opening, each lockable opening, because we're really not concerned with passage on, on most of our customers, but uh, 20 entries per page. And we take records of the DHI nomenclature of uh, the door description and where you're coming from. So to and from, and I won't get into the details of that. Uh, the finish, the type of hardware that's on there, preferably the model number or the part number. Uh, and then other things we add after the fact, like key sets, last touched invoice, things like that. In the past, once we did the survey, Breck threw them away. But I've gotten to the point of saving them no matter what, because let's say something was transcribed wrong. Let's say that there was additional notes on there that didn't fit the length or the amount of data we can store in the software. Uh, things like floor plans, for example, they can kind of, you know, give you an idea of, of what's there and, and how it all relates to the areas you're servicing. I've started scanning those and putting them into uh, a data drive that's shared with all the computers at work so that that information's accessible. That's assuming we get the job. Now, if we don't, down the road, if that becomes in play again, well, you know, we've got that on file. Now we just have to update to cost of parts if they've gone up, cost of labor if it's gone up. So uh, you're not having to survey it again twice. So I've gotten very diligent as far as keeping records because I'm always afraid that I'm going to throw away something that two years, five years, whatever down the road is going to bite me in the butt. And I wish I hadn't. And it takes nothing to scan documents and put them on a, you know, a two terabyte drive. Tim, you, you do a lot of surveys. Your company does a lot of commercial work. Do you guys, I mean, how do you, how do you save your, your survey notes? Do you keep them hard copy do you digitize them is it a mix like us how do y'all do it really what we do is uh like we talked about on the it episode we put everything into service fusion uh because you can set up a, a estimate or a job um it's kind of one of my pet peeves about that software but i won't get into that right now uh but basically when you go out to do a survey uh, for for an estimate or a quote, you can add notes to everything. And what I'll do is I'll take my iPad and walk through and I will make notes of every opening and do a cylinder count. I'll do details. Uh, we can add pictures directly to that record in the software. So I can you know go out of the notes part, hit add picture, hold the iPad or my phone or whatever, whichever device I have up, snap a picture of it, label that picture, and then we can move on to the next opening. Um, we can also, you know, say like, we, we notate what key way they have existing, what type of hardware, you know, do they have uh, crappy one inch mortise cylinders on storefront door hardware in these offices, and then, nice mortise body locks on these offices, you know, just depending like that, we can make notes of everything in there. And it has happened before where uh, 
just actually last year, back in May, I did a walkthrough of a, a business that wanted a master key system. And I did a complete cylinder count between three buildings, noted everything. And like you were saying, uh, we didn't, didn't hear back. Our quotes are good for 30 days. And we didn't hear back within that 30-day period. But we heard back from them like 70 days later after I did that walkthrough and provided the initial quote. And uh, they said, you know, hey, things move so slowly on our end to get quotes approved. Can you requote it? Because it's obviously not good. And so I was able to go through and requote because I had done two options. Uh, they had a existing Schlage keyways. And then we also offered them one of our, our dealer-based restricted keyways and uh, resent both quotes after I checked the price. Uh, still didn't get it, but we've got documentation on that. So if they were to call tomorrow, uh, we've still got a cylinder count on everything. Yeah, it, 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 it beats having to do the legwork again just to give a quote. Now imagine if you did that again, you had to go out and survey it twice and didn't get it both times. That's two trips wasted instead of just one if you had originally kept the notes. Jeff, up in Cleveland, how do y'all do it? Do you do you maintain hard copies or, or digital? Say, yes. Depends on what it is. I mean, we keep a lot of stuff. One of the guys just has a just keeps all of his notepads forever with his survey quote notes and stuff. I mean, typically it gets filed with the customer. Uh, if it's somebody that we do a lot of work for, we would keep it forever. If it's something that we're just looking at and we didn't get the quote or whatever we're not going to keep it forever um you know blueprints we do have, keep some stuff around um but you know esc you can attach documents so if we get a bidding list from somebody else we can scan it in put it in there you know or have it shared or just re-enter it as a system into master king depending on what it is um but there's no, you know i will say that you know in my previous it life the one place that you know they had a sort of like their own document management system. So everything from a packing slip on got scanned into the, the system and you could look up, you know, all this. There was still a paper trail that went with all the products that they made, but it all got digitized as well. So, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of doing that too with a data drive, but it's just a hierarchy of, of folders, folders within folders within folders, stuff like that. Right. That, that. That's really the best way to do it. And number one, Scanners are incredibly cheap now, and so is storage. I, yeah. We got a we got a two terabyte drive for I think one hundred and fifty dollars at Micro Center. Yeah. So you know whether it's quotes and surveys, whether it's contracts, letters of authorization, bills, packing slips, like Jeff said, I just start scanning it. Number one, it's not taking up space at your shop. I mean, it's taking up digital space, but that's nothing. But number two as rare as it may be that you need to reference it, at least you have it on hand. And we know how you feel about letters of authorization. Oh yeah. Yeah. They've got their own special place on the data drive. I would like to say uh, service fusion, which is what we talked about a couple episodes ago, uh, the software that we use, it links with QuickBooks, which you can, you know, of course, keep your inventory and track, who you order from and service fusion when you add a part into it you can add which distributor you buy that part from 
uh, your cost for that plus, you know, and, and then the list price for it. Uh, so you can you can track back talking about, you know, purchasing and itemization of everything. You can track all the way back to your order numbers. That's pretty cool. I'll give you, I'll give you another example, not necessarily related to surveys, but how nuanced we are at the shop. Every time we cut a key or pin up a cylinder or do both on the same order, we have what's called a cutting sheet or a pinning sheet, depending on what we're doing. At the end of the week, we will scan those sheets and then file them by the customer's number. In the event that one week, two weeks, one month, two months down the road, even a few weeks ago, we had one two years down the road. If a customer calls and says, hey, the key you sent us didn't work, we can check those sheets to make sure, number one, that I coded it right. Sometimes they make mistakes and we have to send out another one. If they are coded correctly, then we'll ship out another cylinder or key in hopes that we made a mistake, cut it wrong. If it does not work that second time, now we know something's amiss. And we're not just sending out more and more keys. We know something's bigger at hand. A cylinder's been moved without telling us something may be wrong with the cylinder or the core. And and that kind of stuff can save our butts because I don't know, I keep saying say our save our butts. We can cuss on here. Save our ass and and really protect us and, and get to the bottom of the problem without expending any more materials or labor than need to be. So it's not just surveys. It, it can be everything, like they, like Jeff said. Yeah. Um, Tim, Jeff, any final points? I just want to say that you know, it is as a cop, I still have notepads. You know, you see cops pull the notepad out of their shirt pocket, write down notes. Uh, we have to save those. I still have the very first one that I ever carried on duty because yeah. in case of something ever comes up with that any of those incidents we have to have it and documentation 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 is what i've heard my entire my entire adult life basically from previous jobs if you don't write it down it didn't happen so i transfer that to locksmithing just out of habit yeah yeah i mean you can never have too much information is what i what I said earlier. Well, surveying is only part of a bigger approach to jobs. Writing quotes and sourcing parts and hardware is just as important, which is why the following two episodes will focus on those topics. So make sure you subscribe to know when they're released. Now, I think, is the time to acquiesce to the demands of the listeners. Spare Parts is up next. Well, here it is again. Time to listen to locksmiths talk about non-locksmith stuff. In spare part, Jeff, what is your spare part this week? Uh, it's Cleveland, and it, it's still snowing. How, how much snow do you have currently? Not a ton, but it snowed yesterday, and then three hours later, it was bright and shiny, snowing, uh, sunshine out, so you just never know. Okay, so down here in my neck of the woods, a ton of snow would be six inches on the ground. I didn't say a ton, I just said some. 
<laughs> okay. Tyler, what about you? Uh, I am going to my first professional lacrosse game tonight at the same arena they do hockey, so I'm looking forward to that. I've never seen lacrosse live. Never seen lacrosse in general, so we'll see. Uh, that sounds cool. All right, so my spare part is recently police in Lexington, Kentucky, helped reunite a pet monkey with its owners after it went missing during a car crash. Uh, The monkey named Max was with his family in a car when the car was involved in a crash. Max got loose and escaped. However, a couple days later, police officers got calls from a road crew who said they saw the monkey in the area. Uh, Officers were able to get the monkey and reunite Max with his family. So another happy I'd like to know where you find all these stories. The internet. Everything's true on the internet. That's Abraham Lincoln's quote. I, uh, I went to Lexington years and years ago for a Lockmaster's uh, weekly class, and across from the hotel where the classes were and where everybody was staying was a gas station at Sitco where I ran into somebody that I knew from high school, which was weird, 500 miles away. Uh, and the second thing is is that there was a Spearmint Rhino. Are, are either of you gentlemen familiar with that name? I don't think Tim would be, but I know what it is. Okay, it's uh, Tim, it's, uh, it's a very fancy strip club in Vegas. And apparently they have uh, franchises across the U.S. So it shocked me when I saw it. <laughs> Interesting. Hopefully I'll be going up there uh, soon for some Lockmasters classes. Yeah, and Tyler, what kind of hardware did they have in there? Oh, I, I don't like strip clubs. And I, uh, I was barely old enough to drink, but I definitely wasn't going to go because I didn't have money at the time. All right. Here we are again, arriving mercifully at the end of another episode. Jeff would really, really love to hear from you guys if you sent him some mail. So send him an emailed picture of a $20 bill and along with your thoughts to freetumblerspod at gmail.com or tag us on Twitter at the number three tumblerspod. Jeff, again, would love to get your mail, your thoughts, and read them on one of the episodes. Our executive producer is the tall Tyler J. Thomas. Our technical producer is the lovely Jeff Moss, and I am your writer and editor, Tim Coleman. Our British doorman is Asaya Olchop. Our closer specialist is LCN. And our chief legal counsel is Hugh Lewis Dewey of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, otherwise known to wild Irish rose connoisseurs everywhere as Huey Louie Dewey. Save everything, please. Take good notes. Thanks for listening. This has been a Three Tumblers production, Season 1, Copyright 2023, All Rights Reserved. Find this and others wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm, I'm very disappointed you didn't say, My name's Jeff. <laughs>